If you're good at something, never do it for free. Typhoon, y'all know me, and I'm coming up, just wait and see. If you're good at something, never do it for free. But if you're great at something, would you still agree? Typhoon, y'all know me, and I'm coming up, just wait and see. If you're good at something, never do it for free. But if you're great at something, would you still agree? So let me take Hey everyone, welcome back to the Kevin and HJ podcast. Today I have Hedjun back on as we talk Premier League soccer. Um, Hedjun, there's a lot of fun, interesting things. We had two game weeks this past week. Um, that second we- uh, game was played yesterday um, and Tuesday. And there's a lot of squad rotation that was going on with the teams because of the short break in between the game weeks. So there, were, I think it called for a lot of interesting lineups uh, for all the teams across uh, the Premier League. But I wanted to start off with Man U. Uh, They came out with two ties in the past two games. Um, A 2-2 tie against Southampton, which isn't a great result with uh, where Southampton is in the table. And then they had a a pretty fun and entertaining 2-2 tie against Arsenal. Um, And that was a little bit more encouraging, especially with some of the players that they had on the field. Um, And they didn't they haven't played all together so maybe the chemistry wasn't necessarily there but they're able to pull out a 2-2 result there so give me some of your reactions coming out of those two games I mean disappointing for sure um (laughs) it's been it's it's been such a I don't know like down of a season right now right like if you listen to me, uh, like maybe even like a month ago, I was very optimistic about this whole season. Plus, yeah, and I mean, there's still a lot to look forward to with Man U doing pretty decently in Champions League. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, for sure. But in the Premier League, it just seems like they've been struggling. They went down really early in that Southampton game, two zero, mm-hmm. and and I started texting the group chat between me, you, and Tyler, like, "Uh oh, they're down already, two zero. And you guys were like, "I'm not even watching because of how disappointing they are well, right now." And then they were able to come back in that first half, later in that first half, and like. <sighs> I'm just like I feel like I'm just beating a dead horse here, you know, like that's been long dead. <laughs> like it's always like we have to claw back ourselves into the game, right? And like one or two games, yeah, that's that's fun, that's exciting, right? Like that's electric. But like to do it all season, it gets very tiring to watch, right? Like you're always at the edge of your seats like, oh, like uh, we're down like two nothing, like one nothing, and like it just sucks. Yeah, it doesn't ever seem like um, they have the right mentality coming out of the locker room um, to start off the match on the front foot. And it seems like they're always they're not imposing their will on the game. They're mostly reacting to what's happening, and then from there they try to claw their way back into the game, and. It seems like that's what Mourinho's kind of doing with his lineups, uh, with his teams. He's reacting to what the other team is doing instead of imposing his will and imposing the style of play they want to play against these teams. And I think that would be something that would be super frustrating for a lot of Man U fans. It, 
It really is. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know what else to tell you. It, it's uh Yeah, like I'm um So I I think I predicted earlier in, in I forget which episode, but uh I said Man U will be top 4. Top 4 by the end of 2018. Yeah. I think we are what 18 points behind Liverpool, 16. Yeah, I think it's um 16 points yeah. right now. Na- that's going to be impossible. Yeah, and well, they're 8 points behind uh Chelsea who's sitting in fourth right now. Yeah, so maybe a fifth, right? Um maybe fifth place mm-hmm. because the the table the way it sits right now um top 3 are like almost unreachable yeah. right like th- there it's more than a dozen points well from I Manchester think United right man city and liverpool have kind of separated themselves mm. as the top 2 and then from there tottenham's sitting at 33 points 10 points ahead of man u so it's still conceivable that they yeah. can kind of make a top 4 maybe sitting in the third or fourth spot but they're gonna start. They're gonna have to start doing a lot of their work coming up, especially with this Christmas period coming through. Um, we aren't even halfway through the season yet, so there's still a decent amount of games to be played. Um, so th- they still have a chance to turn it around to make it a positive uh, season. But they better turn it around pretty quickly to have Champions League football next year. Right, and here's the thing: um, Tottenham, right, might be out of. Uh, might be out of the Champions League right yeah, early. Yeah, depending on what hen- ends up happening right. this week. Yep. And Arsenal uh, is in the Europa League already. So it, so is Chelsea too. Right. Yeah. And for them, like winning the Europa League might not be like a priority. Mm-hmm. Right? Like they might just throw it. Like they can afford to go through rotations during that week. Right. Right? Um, but like... For Manchester United, we don't have that kind of luxury, right? We we want to be at least be able to like perform at the uh, the Champions League games. That I don't think like a rotation is a luxury that we can afford, even in weeks that are uh, that we have Champions League games, right? Right. Against even like easier teams, right? Like, mm-hmm. and we're we're trying to like do both at the same time, and it's. Yeah, it it can be a messy rest of the season. Yeah, you could kind of hear it in your voice where yeah. it just seems like you're tired of this team. And I think it begs the question whether or not Mourinho's is like it seems like it's almost inevitable that he's going to go soon just the way this team is underperforming. But it doesn't seem like the Ed Woodward front office is gonna make a move at all there doesn't seem to be a natural end point for this team in terms of letting him go because it seemed like earlier in the season you're you were pretty I guess positive and you alluded to that how you're positive about Mourinho of him being able to turn it around but it looks like me and Tyler have been able to convince you slash Mourinho's like lack of being able to perform in some of these games is kind of a concern now for you to the point where you you would be okay with someone else coming in eventually. No, I I still very much stand behind Jose. Okay. Like I still think he's a capable manager. Um I 
I wouldn't call him the most professional. Okay. Right? He holds a lot of personal grudges and that can sort of show through. Um, and I don't think the fundamental problem lies within Jose Mourinho. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's the managers. I think it's Ed Woodward and like the front office, the, the Glazers, like yeah, yeah. everything. And, like and then like trying to acquire players and all the right type of player to fit Mourinho's system. Right. I think that can kind of be... That's like the dichotomy that people are taking sides over who like in terms of like taking Woodward side or taking Mourinho's and like side. look at the players we've like like or okay. Look at the players that we haven't let go that we should have. Right? We have so much uh quote unquote depth, but those are not filled with quality players. Or Manchester United type players. That right. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, Blint was on on the squad for a long time, right? And he was awful. Yeah, yeah. I uh, think there was like a transition. Darmian. Yeah, yeah. And he's still there. Like, it's just. Yeah, I think there's like I think it's a transition of going from like the instability, like from that stability of Ferguson, and then there was that period of a couple years where they went through a couple guys through Moyes, then they went through uh um what's his name uh the van gaul van gaul and then they've tried to stabilize this with this big splash hire with Mourinho, and i think that's been i think that's one of the things that has been trying they're trying to figure all that stuff out and then there was like i think i sent you guys like rumor about Zidane's son saying like he's ready to come back and manage and maybe that's he's pointing the signal to maybe man you like hey i'm here i'm available raising his hand here um i mean i think if man you has the opportunity to hire him you kind of don't you kind of want to make that move maybe not in the middle of the season but maybe in the off season paired with some of the guys because Zidane's proved that he's been able to win where he's gone in terms of like when he was at Real. Uh not right now. Okay. Like I would okay. I would love to beat him to be like Manchester like our manager. Right. So what I'm saying is what does it take like in terms of like how bad does it have to get for Mourinho to get le- let go by the end of the <laughs> year. So like what place do they have to be in at the end of the season in the table to get for him to get fired? Like not even Europa. So like eighth, basically. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't see that happening. Right. I think it's it would be a long shot yeah. for that to even happen. Um, yeah, it'd be tough. And l- let's. I'm gonna say one more thing before we like transition. Like, yeah. On. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is gonna sound very controversial. Okay. But I personally think. Um, Sir Alex Ferguson didn't do a good job of blasphemy <laughs> leaving <laughs> yeah, Manchester yeah, yeah. United yeah, yeah, to I know. Uh, to like rebuild. I know, yeah. It's really, yeah. I know. It's. I think he. It's not that he was selfish or anything, but I think the. I think it was really different the way that that I guess the transition from him to there wasn't a clear succession plan in place at all yeah. it was kind of like all right i'm leaving and then like don't you think it would have been interesting if like 
Ryan Giggs or something like that w- because they were talking about a lot about that him being the manager mm-hmm. potentially or trying to keep it in house and trying to keep that Manchester United way going and there wasn't that clear of a succession plan um transitioning from one I guess like one player to the ne- or one one manager to the right. next right and even the players right they were all sort of old right um like Strax Ferguson was basically holding the squad together like by a thread like all these ailing old players there are quality players they right? were performing yeah, yeah to a point where they were getting results for that team right but as soon as the new manager came in and had to think about rebuilding and retooling it just didn't yeah, I think there was a right. lot of wholesale changes yeah. that were happening yeah. that made it s- made it happen like that, mm. and it just made it seem like okay, there's this drastic transition from from Sir Alex to David Moyes, who I think those shoes were. I mean, it was clear that the shoes were way too big to be filled um, for him, and then it kind of just like got lost in the shuffle in terms of like the type of manager that they needed. Uh, to kind of successfully make that transition over. Um, and I, I mean, Mourinho's been able to, like, in his past couple of years, you've talked about this in the podcast, that he has been able to get results for this Man U team. Like, that second-place finish, like, he's been able to perform really well with this team with players that aren't necessarily, in quotes, his guys. Mm. So that's kind of... I think that's got to be an encouraging sign, but I think this year has been has been the result of a lot of like just like bad play from some of the players. Like they just haven't been able to up um, perform at the level of what a Man U team is typically like. Yeah. So basically, okay. So I'm I'm kind of curious to see what ends up happening with this team by the end of 2018 as to like where they sit in the pecking order, if it's more of the same, because we're going to enter a really busy period mm-hmm. soon. Um, like that Christmas period where a lot of games are going to be happening. A lot of squad rotation is going to happen. So I'm kind of curious to see what ends up happening with this team. Yeah. I mean, I mean, we talk, yeah, we have a lot of games this com- like coming up in this month. Yep, so there, th- yeah. Yeah. There are chances to make it up. Mm hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to hold my breath. I'm just going to watch the games with complete zen. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I mean... Well, at least you you have the Champions League to hold on yeah, to, yeah. Um, whereas Liverpool is struggling in the Champions League, and it's not looking great for them to make it. They have to win 2-0 against um, Napoli. Napoli to I- advance the next round. And then, but on the flip side of things, Liverpool has been extremely, extremely good um, in the league. They haven't lost yet in the league. They're um, unbeaten in the league so far. And they're still sitting two points behind Man City, which is somewhat discouraging in a way, but also like it's crazy. It it just kind of shows how good Man City is this year Um, because Liverpool's have had a historic start. Like they haven't lost in their first 15 games yet and they're still sitting two points behind man city and like these past two games in this game week that um liverpool ended up having they 
they won that Everton game um, by that <laughs> Origi goal. That was that was like a crazy, crazy goal. Like I couldn't believe that happened. Like in extra time, um, the fifth minute of extra time, and he was able to or stoppage time, and he was able to score that unreal goal. Jordan Pickford made like a horrible mistake. It looked like it was going over the crossbar, and then he ended up putting it in. Uh, Origi ended up putting it in to win 1-0. And then the Burnley game, like, they're down 1-0, and then they were able to rip off three goals. It just seemed like in past years, and we've talked about this, in past years, those Liverpool teams would have lost or tied that game. Um, They would have probably tied that Everton game, and then they would have lost that Burnley game. And they've been able to find ways to win and that's kind of what these championship level teams end up doing they find ways to win and even when they don't have their best stuff because when Liverpool's at their best they can put five goals in but when they're at their worst they there was such a variability in Mm -hmm. terms of the level of performance that they had that it was so frustrating to watch but now that that gap has lessened and when they're not at their best, they're still able to win against decent teams. And here's like one in- interesting fact that I, I think I'm not sure if I can remember exactly right now was um, even during games that Salah didn't score, their winning percentage was, uh, I think, more than 50%. Yeah. Um, so like last season right Salah had this amazing run of a uh, as a as a player and this season he's kind of come back to um the i guess the basic human player that he you know mm-hmm. uh he, he's nowhere in the level of like Ronaldo and Messi just because of consistency right but last year we saw glimpses of that and this year um even if he's not performing there are other outlets that uh, Liverpool can, like, lean on, mm-hmm. right? That, like, it, it doesn't matter who scores, right? Like, a win is a win. And, like, it's fine if Salah doesn't, you know, score, like, three, four game or goals in a row, uh, you know, or, like, is on a race to the golden boot, right? It doesn't, it doesn't matter because the teams are, the team itself is winning. Right, right. Um, so I, I thought that was very interesting um, compared to last season. Was like um, last season, I was saying, oh, if Salah gets injured, like Liverpool is done. Now I can't say the same thing. Right, and their squad depth has kind of shown itself a little bit more. I think I was particularly impressed by that second win against Burnley because they did have a lot of guys out. Like Andy Robertson has been like a stalwart for them at left back. And Mourinho was a- able to k- come in and like fill in for a game and not be totally hurt by it. And then also, like all the front three, although they weren't performing well in the first half, like the Sturridge, Shakiri, Origi front three, like it kind of showed that they have somewhat some type of depth to supplement the front three of Sané, or Mane, um, Salah, and Firmino. And even though Firmino and Salah, like, when they ended up coming in, that's when things started changing uh, the game for them in that Burnley game. It still showed that they can 
come in as subs and still make an impact. And that's such an encouraging sign for a Liverpool fan. And I'm just hoping that they're able to get that 2-0 win against Napoli this uh, coming week so that they can kind of show what what they need to show in the Champions League because it would kind of be a discouraging sign for them to kind of take a step back, especially from that finals appearance last year. Um, while it was a surprise last year to make that finals um, appearance, it's still, it would still be discouraging that they weren't able to make it out of group. Mm. Yeah, but it's a considerably harder... Oh yeah, I think it's. It out of. I totally agree, but I still think it would like they're kind of. I think there's expectations that come along mm. with uh, this type of team, and they had stated goals of like, I mean, at least making it out of the group. I mean, yeah, and in these like short term like tournament style games, that's where like Salah really needs to shine. Yeah, right? the like these are the those are the types. Yeah, of games. and th- that those are the games that really matters. Like as a as a, I don't know, the one of the best players on the team, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it'll, I guess it will depend on whether Salah can just kind of like grab Liverpool by its, by its collar and just like drag them to past the qualifying stages. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's going to happen. Napoli is... Napoli's good, but yeah. it's, at, it's at Anfield. So I think that gives me a little bit more encouragement. Mm-hmm. I mean, Liverpool's struggles in the Champions League have been all away um, from home. They they didn't win a game away from home. Uh, they lost every game in the Champions League. So I think that's I think that's the one encouraging thing. They were able to beat a really good PSG team. So there's signs of encouragement that at home that they they should be able to perform. But a two goal hurdle kind of it almost plays into the hands of Liverpool in that it forces Liverpool to kind of play this attacking pressing style, which they're so naturally good at anyway, that I think, I think they would, they, they are going to be able to do it. Um, even if there's some tense moments towards the end of the game. I don't think, well, Napoli doesn't have anything to gain from this game at all. Right? Like, no, they do. Because if they lose and then PSG wins, they're out of it. No, I know, but like, they're not, the objective is gonna be not to lose. They're not they're not look necessarily looking for a win. They can even like, they they just pa- well they just need to lose by one goal. Right. Basically. So yeah. like, they're gonna play very conservative and they're just gonna sit back, mm-hmm. right? And the key is whether Liverpool can break through that that defense. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, I think. I wouldn't be surprised if Liverpool came up, like pressured them really quickly and then ended up going up a couple goals and then there's going to be a change in mentality from Napoli and I think that change in mentality is going to be very tough especially um, transitioning from okay going into the game this is what our objective was and then I think at halftime they're going to have to really change their mentality but we'll see I don't know what I mean, it's really hard to predict soccer games, yeah. so we'll see what ends up happening. I'm excited to see what ends up happening um, during that game and seeing if Liverpool qualifies, but we'll talk about that next week. Now, I did also want to talk talk about a couple other teams in the top six, top five teams. Um, Arsenal ended up tying your Man U mm-hmm. team um, yesterday, but then they also got a great win 
um, during the North yeah. London Derby. It was um, against Tottenham. Um, There's a lot of grief that was given to uh, our boy <laughs> Son Heung-min, who ended up going down in the box, um, maybe playing up the penalty call and then ending ending up getting it. There was contact. It looked like, but it, it looked very minimal and to the point where he was embellishing on him falling to the ground. And a lot of Arsenal players were extremely upset by that because at that point in the game, they ended up, um, Harry Kane ended up scoring the PK. Mm-hmm. They go down 2-1 um, to Tottenham. And then it was it was impressive how this Emery squad ended up just like turning on a switch and then putting in three three goals straight, having a 4-2 win. And I was extremely impressed with the way like Aubameyang and Lacazette just like looks so dynamic in that game. Yeah, and I don't think it was Arsenal like finding a I don't know almost like a third gear, right? I think it was more of Tottenham making some mental errors. Yeah, and stuff like they like just kind of turned off, especially Dyer. Yeah, right. That's right, true. Like right after he scored that goal or that quote unquote goal. Yeah. Um. Like, he had that ceremony and, like, which also, like, made Arsenal fans very mad. Uh-huh. Um, and then, like, something clicked where, um, yeah, like, he 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 contributed to a lot of those um, uh, goals that Arsenal made because, it w- and they were all due to because, because of his mistakes, right? Like, so... I don't know. Like uh, maybe, maybe he got he got too pressured from the atmosphere. But like, yeah, that w- just seeing him just kind of like switch off like that it was like, dude, what are you doing? Yeah, it it was a little weird to kind of see. And I mean, I think this Emery team is ha- has been like surprisingly good, and I think they've been flying under the radar. They they're unbeaten this season, like in the or not this season, but like. In the past, like, 20 games, they're unbeaten. They haven't lost one game um, in all competitions in the past 20, I think it, it is. And that's extremely impressive under this first-year first, first year manager who's replacing, like, this club legend in Arsene Wenger. And he's done an extremely good job, especially with a lot of the players that they have. Um, I think he's really found his system in, in place for this squad like and I we could kind of do like a comparison to Mourinho in that he's he's found a formation that's fit around his squad mm-hmm. whereas Mourinho's kind of tried to jam players into like basically that saying of like jamming a square square or a circle peg in a square hole or whatever that saying is but kind of like doing that in that Emery's kind of done the opposite and you try to utilize the strengths of his players in the squad yeah and one interesting fact i was watching the game and this interesting fact came up they have the most amount of goals scored in the second half Mm -hmm. i think it's like 24 or something and that sounds like manchester united too just they're not able to do it in the caliber that Arsenal is doing. Mm-hmm. And you're right. Like, yeah, it, it, Manchester United hasn't found the formation that works for 
the players that we have right now, right? And that's why Jose is like, it's a hit or a miss, right? Wh- wherever he goes. And yeah, I mean, I, I, I got to give it to Emery. Like he's, he's a capable manager. Yeah. And then, I mean, I also did want to transition to like Man City. Like Man City's been unstoppable. They were able to grind out a 2-1 victory against Watford. And then they also won this past weekend. Um, I think it was against Bournemouth 3-1. And those two teams have been mid solid mid-table teams this year. And they were Man City was able to pull out victories against them. It's almost kind of boring to talk about them because they're so good mm-hmm. in that they have such a good squad. Even when they rotate their squad, like... It's, they're they're just like almost unstoppable. Like Sergio Aguero hasn't played in a couple games, and it's completely fine because they have so many. They have such good depth. Like Gabriel Jesus is coming off their bench yeah. for them. Like we've talked about this. Like it, there's not much to talk about with this team until they like end up struggling or they have like a shock loss or like anything like that. It's just more of the same in that they've. They're just playing this like free flowing soccer, um, and Pep is doing a really good job with them. Yeah, and the only test that's gonna be on Man City is again Champions League. Mm-hmm. Um, they haven't been able to go past. I think it's the round of eight. Yeah, yeah. So quarterfinals. So, I mean, we'll see if they can, if they can do it this year. Yeah, um, for whatever reason, Pep doesn't have good rep with like Champions League games other than like when he was playing uh, at Barcelona. Or yeah, not, yeah. not playing but managing at Barcelona. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean they're kind of boring to talk about so we'll move on from them and then Chelsea kind of had that the shock loss of the week. Um, they lost to, to Wolves this past week and like it was I, I watched the highlights to the game and they ended up going one up 1-0 and all these squads had rotated squads so it was kind of interesting to see like some of the player like the combination of players that they had they had uh Fabregas uh Loftus-Cheek who ended up scoring the goal um starting in midfield with Conte and then they had Christensen starting at center back for them so they had like a rotation of some of their players especially with the short week and they ended up losing to Wolves 2-1 after going up 1-0 in the first half. And I was pretty impressed by how Wolves like kind of came back and was able to um, not give up in that game. And I think I think Chelsea's kind of like they've they had like a really good early spell and a lot of player a lot of people thought they would be one of the contenders in the league and they're I mean they're like 10 points behind now so it it seems like it's getting a little bit further away from them and I know I know Tyler ended up putting some money on them uh to 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 win the league especially early on but it kind of looks like they've been struggling a little bit over the past couple of league games um and I'm not exactly sure what the reason is but I think it's a lot about them trying to figure out who they can rely on coming off the bench. Yeah, I mean, I feel like their rotation isn't as solid, mm-hmm. too. Like, 
um, and and they've made a lot of mistakes, uh, especially those who came on as um, rotation, um, and their their attacking hasn't been as electric and and like explosive as past seasons. Yeah, I think in the past four games they've scored two goals. Yeah, um, and they've struggled. They've kind of struggled in that way in terms of trying to figure out how to score and how to, like... Because, like, Hazard's been pretty good for them Mm. this year. But outside of that, I think it's been a struggle. Like, they haven't been able to get anything out of, like, Murata and Giroud out of that center forward position, and that's really been hurting them. So they need to find something other than Hazard as their their offense. has kind of struggled and kind of waned off since the beginning of the year. And, you know, someone like Ross Barkley, like, he... He showed something earlier in the year, and then he hasn't been getting his chances. And, like, that's the thing, right? Like, it's it's not about, like, how well you can play one or two games. It's about the whole season. Yeah, and it kind of seemed like as soon as Kovacic ended up coming in, his Mm -hmm. Barkley spot just got lost. Yep. Um... So I think they need to kind of change something up and see what they can do, try to get something a little bit more incisive and more offensive out of one of those center midfield spots Um, because Conte is, like, always a beast in the middle of the field. But they need to get something other than him and maybe, like, him, Jorginho, and, like, Barkley start, like, having those three go up in the middle of the field, I think they need to find someone a little bit more attacking um, in that center midfield to start some of the attack for them. So, I mean, that's kind of like all I really wanted to talk about in terms of like Premier League games for the for the week. I mean, there's a couple other interesting matchups. I mean, we'll talk we'll talk about towards the end of the podcast what matchups we're looking forward to, or I guess we could kind of talk about that now, like what matchups we're looking forward to coming up this week. And, I mean, the big one's Chelsea-Man City. I think being able to see um, who who's going who's gonna to do what, like, I think it'll be interesting to see what ends up happening in that game. But other than that, I'm not exactly sure who uh, – there's not many m- more interesting games. I'm kind of interested to see how Liverpool performs against Bournemouth. Bournemouth's been kind of a surprising team this year, so um, if they're able to perform away over there, I think it'll be really impressive. I mean, for me, obviously the Manchester United game, we need to turn the tide around, and Fulham's an easier target, um, but with the new manager, Ray Ray Mm -hmm. uh, I can't... Ranieri? Ranieri. Yeah. Uh, It's... um, It might be tough, yeah. You know, just, just because he, he's shown that it's not about the players. To it's about like also about like tactical stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, I mean that I'm gonna be watching that game for sure. Yep. Um. Yeah, and I mean I, I kind of wanted to transition on too and talk about like uh the Ballon d'Or and talk about some of the rankings that. Uh, ESPN, there was an ESPN article that came out today with the top 100 players and managers. So they kind of did like a, 
like a top 10 ranking for like each position slash manager um, ranking as well. So we can get into that, but then also talk about like Luka Modric. What were your thoughts on him winning Ballon d'Or? Did you feel like he was a deserving winner? Um, do you feel like some it should have gone to Messi or should have gone to someone else? Um, and then I think there was also like a little bit of controversy. I don't know if you heard about this with the uh, first women's Ballon d'Or mm. award with yeah. like, um, I think, was it like the host or the DJ? The DJ. Yeah, the DJ asking her to twerk on stage. So we could get into that yeah. a little bit. But what were your thoughts on Modric winning uh, the Ballon d'Or? I think it's well-deserved. Um, obviously, in the years of the World Cup, like that's a huge contribution to, you know, journalists casting their vote. And Ronaldo and Messi just hasn't shown that in the World Cup to warrant another Ballon d'Or. Yeah, right? they both struggled in the World Cup this yeah. past year. Yeah. I mean, if you guys listen to our World Cup podcast uh, this past summer, that's like how we started the podcast. They were struggling. Both of them didn't get their teams um, going into like the later stages of the tournament. And Modric with that small Croatian team, um, they were able to just like kind of make this dream run into the finals. And I mean, they ran into like a really talented France team, but Modric was the guy that was holding it together for that team. Yeah, he was the core of the team, right? Like, mm -hmm. um, I think it was, who, uh, man, his name is, I'm blanking. Um, uh, the French striker. Mbappe. No, 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 not Mbappe. Um, Atletico Madrid. Oh, Griezmann. Griezmann. Yeah, yeah. I think he he got second. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he was like, what more do I have to do, right? And uh -huh. he, he was like the the winner of the World Cup and all that. But just like, look at the talent yeah, surrounding him. Right. Like the point is France won with a lot of talent, whereas Croatia was the clear underdog. Nobody expected them to like really go far. Yeah. They made it to the finals. And the person really responsible for all, all that was Modric alone. Yeah. And I think they do. I think writers do put a lot of emphasis and reporters put a lot of emphasis. If, if it's a World Cup year. Uh, the performance of the World Cup. And then, like, it's not like Modric was a slouch in um, club football either. He won, did the, he won the Champions League mm -hmm. again with Real. Um, so it's not like he didn't contribute in club either. He, like, had a very well-rounded year. And it's kind of... I, th I don't know if this is the book end to Cristiano and uh, Messi's, like rain on world football and that because i think they've been long considered the top two whether you have messi ronaldo ronaldo messi it's been them two then like a huge drop off and then a bunch of other guys now modric has won the ballon d'or and this is like the first time in since i think 2007 i think it was since kaka won it in 2007 that someone other than Messi or Ronaldo have won it, which is an amazing feat. For 10 years, they, they've basically been passing mm. the award back and forth. And for Modric to come out of Croatia to win it is like an uh, amazing accomplishment. And I'm kind of curious, and I think this transitions us to the ESPN list, 
like who's the next guy in terms of potential for winning the Ballon d'Or? Like who like I think that's like an interesting conversation to have. Like who do you think is the next guy that's gonna be in Ballon d'Or contention? Mm, I think well I think at least for next couple of seasons i think messi or ronaldo is going to win it again yeah i, I yeah. wouldn't be surprised yeah. by that um but uh i would say i would say mbappe yeah and I'm, i mean that's not even like that's that, not, yeah, yeah that's not like a shocking like converse he ended up winning like the young players award mm-hmm. and it's still it's like unbelievable that he's 19 yeah has the talent that he has he's already won a world cup like, which is, like, the pinnacle for a lot of, like, international soccer um, players to win that win that World Cup. Like, he's on, he's basically at the top of the mountain before he's reached his prime. And he has so much talent and skill that I wouldn't be surprised if he won it in, like, a couple years. Yeah. Like, he could conceivably win it in the next two years or so. Uh, that's, like, how talented he is. I, I think it will happen if... France can win the Euros in twenty twenty. Yeah, yeah, in twenty twenty, I think uh, him being in PSG and just like tearing it up, and also, I mean, if he can carry the team to in Champions League to f- like further than it has ever gone before, plus winning the Euro or like getting close to it, I mean, no question. Yeah, and it's kind of funny that you mentioned like PSG, and there's another famous guy on PSG, Neymar who ended up finishing like 10th in the Ballon d'Or rankings yeah. or whatever. And it's it's kind of ironic that he ended up leaving Barcelona to have a better chance of like basically putting his stamp on a team and being the it guy and being potentially that next that top next top guy. And he is a talented player, but he I don't know that PSG team sometimes underperforms in Champions League. Uh, matches and that Brazil team wasn't able to do as well as they would have liked and I mean I think Neymar is an extremely talented player but it maybe looks like he might get overshadowed by Mbappe if he ends up staying there so there's a question as to whether he ends up leaving to give him a better chance at trying to win some of these individual accolades and I don't think Neymar is ever going to win the Ballon d'Or I think that's a hot take in that, like, he's probably the next guy in terms of, I think a lot of people would say, at, in terms of talent, behind Messi and Ronaldo mm-hmm. as, like, the next guy, next most talented guy. But he just doesn't have the mentality of a superstar, mm-hmm. right? Like, sure, he's a quality player, but the way he ruins the team, team's dynamic, right? Mm-hmm. I mean... If you look at his um, his like attitude in Barcelona, right? Yeah, he could have had it all with Messi, uh, uh, Suarez, and himself. Mm-hmm. Like that could have been a dynasty, right? Mm-hmm. Like not even um, in the years of like Ronaldo, um, Bale, and Benzema, like being in the same, like being at their prime, basically. Right. And to throw it all away because his ego is too big. I mean, he's not going to he's not going to ever win a, like an award like that ever. 
Yeah, it it'll be fascinating to see like which one of these guys like. I'm curious to see if like Mohamed Salah could even like have a chance at winning it if and like he had a historic year for Liverpool last year, so like it's almost inconceivable that he could win a win this type of like title as the best player in the world if he had a year like last year where probably if you just based it off of last year he probably had one of the best years um wonder if he can win it like there's other guys out there like Griezmann who we mentioned who was one of the finalists this Mm -hmm. year um as a possibility so I I don't know if there's any other guys out there that have that potential of winning it but I think it's kind of like Mbappe Neymar as another possibility and then Griezmann and then maybe Salah if he's able to carry Liverpool but because if he, if Salah's able to like win the league for Liverpool and then win the Champions League or something like that some like crazy thing like that he'll probably win it but it, it doesn't seem conceivable at all even at speaking as a Liverpool fan um and then I mean like we referred to this ESPN 100 list. Um, they ranked a bunch of players, top 10 players from goalkeepers, right back, center back, left back, center midfield, attacking midfield, wide forward, forward striker. Um, and, I mean, we could kind of go through some of the list and talk about some of the players. Um, I don't know how you wanted to do this. Like, I think the most fascinating list is the forward position, mm. and they listed the forwards in this order. So they had Messi at number one. They had Cristiano at two. Mbappe, three. Eden Hazard at four. Then Griezmann at five. Neymar, six. Salah at seven. Bale, Firmino, Dybala. Um, I think it's a really fascinating list, like the way it's currently constituted. They've, they pushed up Mbappe to number three, and I think that kind of shows like he's the next guy. Um, taking the mantle like we talked about for the Ballon d'Or award. And there's some interesting guys on, on that list, like Hazard. I I mean, like, he's been pretty good, but I don't, like, top five in the world, that's a huge ask. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, I think Neymar's still in the top five. Um, he gets pushed down to six, but I think there's, like, a lot of, like, negative perception about the way he plays and, uh, the way he kind of acts on the field, and that's kind of knocked him down to number six. Um, and you, you have to think about the league, right? Like, even if he bangs in, like, 60 goals in the... It's not the level of yeah. league, like, in Spain or no, in England not. at all. Um, yeah, it's it's just, like, not the same level of competition. I think, like, everyone's pretty defensible on the list. I'm pretty actually surprised that Roberto Firmino made yeah. the list at mm-hmm. number nine. And then Dabala's at 10. Like, they're both good, solid players, but thinking about top 10 forwards, I think there's kind of, like, there's so many other guys out there. Um, and I think I think it's hard with this list as I'm going through it because, like, what constitutes a forward like versus, th- w- versus a striker right. versus a wide... Like, there's... The game of soccer is so versatile nowadays that it's really hard to place, like, I think, I guess, categories on these guys because, like, Salah's, like, considered a wide... I would consider him, like, a wide forward instead of, like, 
a pure a pure forward i don't know it's just like it's very hard to make these distinctions and then like striker like i think ronaldo's been playing a lot more striker instead so it's like very tough to kind of like put these guys into different positions so like even if you look at the striker list they have harry kane at number one right now then sergio aguero cavani luis suarez Lewandowski, lukaku costa Manzukish, uh higuain and acardi for from inter so there's like a lot of like interesting guys that i probably wouldn't have thought of like yeah. if you just said striker um Lewandowski was ranked number one last year and he's he's like uh, he's been on like on a historic pace with Bayern Munich and putting in goals um Harry Kane had like a really good year last year but I think it's really tough like when trying to create a list like this how to rank some of these guys and what places to put them in I think they were like personally I, I think they were just like, oh, we have so many names that we should put in. How should we, like, break them out? And this is, like, the end result. Yeah, and then at that point, I kind of would just do, like, the top 25 attackers or mm. something like that. Mm. Because I think that's a little bit more, I don't know, tangible in terms of the way you could kind of, like, categorize some of these players. Because, like, wide forward is, like, they have Sadio Mane at number one. Yeah. Um. Like yeah, I I feel like it could have been like twenty five forwards, twenty five midfielders, twenty five defense, ten goalies, and then like from f- yeah 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 I filled that up with managers yeah because like yeah I think it's like an interesting list now because like wide forward like Eden Hazard's like a wide forward like yeah. I think of Salah as a wide forward as well like it's kind of tough to make some of these distinctions. Um, it's kind of cool to see Sadio Mane at number one in something like as a Liverpool fan, but they have like Leroy Sané, Raheem Sterling, Perisic, uh, Marco Asensio, Willian, Insigne, Dembele, who has kind of struggled, honestly, Marco Royce and Douglas Costa. So it's a lot of like, I think trying to like get a bunch of these guys into like a list and be like, oh, we created this list list for the sake of creating a list. It kind of reminds me of like what ESPN does with mm-hmm. like the NBA rank thing where they rank a bunch of players uh, for the sake of ranking players. I yeah. think it's like the same idea. And it's so like hard to distinguish because like real soccer is not played on the list. Like whenever you're creating a team, you're thinking about which players fit with each other. And it's definitely hard to quantify sometimes on a list yeah except except the goalie maybe yeah i mean that's more all right do you want to take a look at the top 10 goalies so they have De Gea at number one right (laughs) now um especially with like you've been complaining about some of his struggles but i think he is like a top three goalie yeah um jan oblak who's for the goalie for atletico at number two cartois at three uh beck allison becker liverpool goalie at four uh, Ter Stegen at five, Ederson at six, uh, Manuel Neuer at seven, Lloris at eight, Buffon at nine, and Navas at ten. Um, it seems like a pretty comprehensive yeah. list. I mean, I don't really have many complaints in that list. I think, like, I think the Ederson, Ederson, like, 
pick is kind of like I think him and Becker are pretty even. Like Courtois has really struggled at the beginning of this mm. year, um, and I'm kind of curious like what goes into this into these rankings in terms of like are they just talking about like pure goalkeeping skills as of right now or are they kind of talking about like how they project because like there's like um there's that guy from like milan donnarama who's like 19 or 20 um who probably has he's gonna be on the rise coming up like buffon i would probably rank a little higher than nine at currently constituted like He's, I would rank him above Larice right now and like some of these other guys, but he's 40 years old. So, like, I think there's a balancing effect in trying to determine like what this list is, but it's not like they've egregiously left off any player that I can think of. Well, I don't know if I agree with Neuer I'd even being at top 10. Yeah, he, I mean, he's really, sh- yeah, like struggled sh- sh- with injuries and things like that. So, I think that's been a little bit tough to mm. kind of kind of justify some of his rankings so it's like i think it gets to this whole thing of like are we ranking players from this past year's accomplishments or are we ranking them just by okay like a fantasy draft what goalie would would i re- want to have and i mean he would probably be one of the top three to five goalies i'd pick if it, we're starting a fantasy draft yeah. just on pure talent but in terms of like production being on the field, he didn't show that last year. He mm. was hurt. Like Germany bounced out of the World <laughs> Cup this year thanks to Korea. Where's Cho Hyunwoo in this list? Oh, um, uh, seriously? Yeah. yeah, I know. So like it's kind of it's kind of like a hard. Uh, it's like hard to make some of those distinctions in that. And then like we kind of like were were there any other because there's like right back, center back. Left back, they have Carvajal at number one, uh, Kimmich at number two, Kyle Walker at three, Pavard at Ford, four, Alves at five, Trippier at six, Manoyer at seven, Aspilicueta at eight, Sergi Roberto for Barcelona at nine, and Juan Fran at ten. So there's like right backs, center backs. I think these, I think like as I'm going through the list, it, it's really fascinating to see like what players are rated highly mm-hmm. um is it based off of just reputation um how how highly do they rate like some of these center backs Ooh, they have Kuli bali at number nine at, as a center back so they like it, it, i think it's like a marriage between like current like household names and then like kind of some yeah yeah and then like sneaking in like an interesting name here or there um, kind of like on, based on the performance of what they've done um, in the past season. Uh, I sort of really want to talk about the manager list. Okay. So I think that's a really fascinating list because I think that's maybe a little bit more comparable in comparison to like trying to di- distinguish different players mm. from different systems. So let's take a look at the manager list. So, number one, they have Guardiola. Um, so, like, I guess before we even look at the list, like, out of all the managers that are out there right now, if you're a Man U fan, who would you want to hire right off the street? <laughs> because you know it's definitely not Mourinho. Like, like if you had a pick of the litter, who would you want to hire? Like, me personally? 
Yeah, you personally. Maybe just like in terms of like who who's like the dream hire for Man U, um, or even like if you're starting like a FIFA World Team or whatever like fantasy team, mm. like who are you who are you picking as your as your manager? I've always liked Klopp. Let's go, and he's ranked number two. Yeah, no, he's like ever since he he um, started managing uh, Borussia Dortmund, mm-hmm. right? He like. I was so like attracted to his charisma, right? And like the way he has been able to connect with the players. Um and like he did amazing things at Dortmund that like I knew if he were to go anywhere else, like he would be able to do the same thing. Um and like the timing would have been so right if like when Sir Alex retired and they were looking for a new manager. And I immediately thought, like, okay, we should hire club. Yeah. Um, like, that hasn't happened. And I don't know if it ever will. Because he seems to, like, um, not, like, mid-tier, but, like, A-class, like, clubs and turn them into, like, S-class. Um, yeah, he... You know? It seems like he's kind. He kind of goes for maybe not even the underachieving team, but like, like the the subtle su- underdogs. Yeah, kind of like the team that if everything goes right, they have a chance of yeah. winning the league, and then turning them into like a legitimate powerhouse type of team. Yeah. And I think he enjoys like the process and the project of being able to turn a team from like this one thing and then turning it into another thing in comparison to maybe just like going to Real and just like grinding out wins. Mm. Um, the rest of the list is fairly interesting. They have Guardiola at number one, Klopp at two, Diego Simon, S- Simeone at number three, um, Allegri, the Juventus manager at four, Sarri, um, Chelsea manager at five, Deschamps, the manager of France, at six. Then they have Pochettino at seven. Uh, Ancelotti, who's the Napoli manager, at eight. Tite, who's the manager of Brazil, at nine. And Tuchel, who's the manager of PSG, at ten. I, I really like Tuchel, actually. Like, he's kind of like the... He was like the, the successor of Klopp at Dortmund. And he's gotten a really big job at PSG. And I, I'm pretty impressed with what he's been able to do trying to get all those like crazy big personalities to like interact under one team. So I'm pretty impressed with him. Like I'm surprised Dish Champs is like on this list in terms of being at six. Like winning that World Cup, that should immediately vault you to like number three, I think, over Simeone or even like two. Like it I think it does a lot of like it brings a lot to the list. And then there's guys out there that aren't listed, like, who haven't, you know, Zidane, he's retired, but he'd probably be number one if he were still if he were still managing. Yeah, I mean, I'm really surprised that Zidane is on here. Yeah, I, don't, I, don't I, know think it's, I think it's probably because he's not currently managing right now. Right, but you have to think about all the achievements that he's... Yeah, it's great. He yeah. would be clear number one. Like, wh- how is Tite on here? Yeah, like and he's and the thing is, Zidane is available for Manu fans. <laughs> Doesn't that just make Manu fans excited? Like that's that's my whole thing about about this. But like, 
doesn't it raise red flags when a manager like of that caliber is like, oh n- no, I'm not gonna go to Manchester United, right? It's not, it's not because of the players. It, it it's here we go again. Um, yeah, it, yeah. It's, I mean, it's not because of the players. Yeah, we don't really have to rehash yeah. it, but it's just more like I think he's out there, he's available. So and then Mourinho's not even on the list, which is. I yeah. I think it's a bit unfair because I think if he were on the open market, like he would be one of the top five to six managers that would ev- that would be hired mm. like fairly quickly. So I think it's a bit unfair, and I think it's kind of they're kind of basically placing a ton of value on this year and some of the struggles that have been happening. Right. But he he's clearly like in the top. five five to six managers I well would say. i mean it's al- also very clear that espn i don't know looks at the the names too because i, I wanted to highlight uh the vietnamese or the vietnam like national team's manager right now he's korean mm-hmm. right but he's taken vietnam to such a level that they've never been before yeah like and I think they made it to like Asian, uh, Asian game like quarterfinals or like semifinals or something. Mm-hmm. And the level of soccer that he's brought into Vietnam is so huge that like all of Vietnam is rooting for the Vietnamese like national team, just like how in O two, O two and the Gus Hiddink like. Brought mm-hmm. all that like fire and passion into uh, into Korea, and I'm like surprised that he's not on the list. And well, actually, I'm not surprised that he's not on the list, but like he should be on the list. Yeah, I think there's like I think there's different things that you might look for as a manager that you would want, and like how you would rate them in terms of like top ten, um, what type of cachet they have. Like managing's a lot about like reputation, honestly. And like what you can perceive to conceivably bring to the table. It's kind of like one of those things that if you rank the NBA coaches, it's like a product of what they do in terms of like the playoffs and things like that. But then also like reputation wise, like what players think about them, all that type of stuff, all that stuff goes into it. So I guess like transitioning from this uh, list, like, as the listeners, we'd be really curious to think to like have you guys comment on some of the players, some of the managers, what you think about the list. Do you think ESPN did like a shitty job on it, or do you think like it's pretty much well grounded in like fact, like how how they rank some of these guys? I did want to talk and touch upon. We're we're running at like an hour right now, but I did want to touch upon a little bit the woman's Ballon d'Or oh, yeah. uh, we, thing. We kind of like zoomed over that. But bringing it back to that, um, personally, I don't really know who this player is that won the bo- the Ballon d'Or for um, the women's. Um, and this was the first year that they gave it, and it was to Ada Hergerberg. So I don't even know if I'm actually stating that correctly in terms of her name. But there was like huge controversy um, at the ceremony when she ended up winning and then the DJ ended up asking her to twerk live at the 
like basically asking her to twerk on stage as she was rece- receiving her award and it was there was like this huge twitter reaction um basically stating how that's not acceptable just because she's a woman like that's not something you would ask a man to do on stage and basically this sexualization of uh women's sports in comparison to male sports yeah I'll, uh, what i want to highlight is the dj's um apology video mm-hmm. right he did make an apology video and he made it public yeah but it wasn't it wasn't i'm sorry for like my actions it was i apologize and it was because i don't understand the english language and the culture very much and i'm like I'm sidestep like, yeah i'm like dude <laughs> like you should have cut it off at i'm sorry i yeah, apologize that's all he needed to really because, say at that point right like because like sexism isn't about whether you know how to speak a language or not right mm-hmm. or know about the culture like it's sexism and sexism and like like i personally didn't see it as a joke right mm-hmm. I, as soon as he said it like i watched the video and as soon as he said it i was like oh no like this is gonna blow up on twitter yeah and like it was not good no yeah, yeah. and like any sensible person should know to like that there's like a plate like time and place for it yeah i mean it's not even that there's a time and place like she's a she's getting awarded the like being the best female soccer player in the world on that stage and to kind of be asked like oh can you twerk like that it just seems like there's no relation there like Mm -hmm. it 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 could have just been like as simple as like how do you feel winning the being the first uh winner of this award like that's just a much better and relatable question to what's going on at hand than can you twerk like it's it's it would be such a weird out of the out of left field type of conversation if Mbappe or like Modric was like asked, oh, do you know how to like do you know dab or whatever? Like, do you know how to do this? It would just be like, what is this guy even asking? Like, and I think that's kind of my whole thing about this. Apart from like maybe the sexualization part of like the twerking aspect because she's a woman like you kind of ask her that type of thing my whole thing is like is that related to to what's going on at hand and clearly it wasn't so i didn't i don't know that's kind i just felt like just ask her about soccer like that's what she's there for anyway and i think it kind of there's this distinction as to like male sports are taking somewhat like very seriously whereas like female sports are almost taken as mm, i don't know like like second tier second tier yeah. and really don't matter and it i mean they kind of it kind of shows like it's taken this long for this award to be given out as like the first uh woman's award but, but like the focal point isn't even about oh the first she's the first woman to woman player to ever receive the ball door it's about that video right yeah, yeah. and it just kind of like overshadows like her achievements yeah and like well and and to be fair and the thing is like 
I didn't I've never heard of this person like before she was announced the Ballon d'Or winner like I I don't follow women's soccer unless it's like the women's world cup and I've never heard of this player before this incident happened so it's like it's this balance of trying to cover the women's game fairly Mm. and also in a in a serious manner but then also trying to get women interested in the game yeah and and people interested in in watching the game as Here, well. Here's my hot take on like women's sports. Okay. Right? And um, are we going to have to like are we going to get in No, hot like water uh, I'll this? come okay. off in a minute. Okay. Um people care so much about like Ameri- America cares so much about U- US women's national team because they're good. Yeah. Right? And like why do why do they need to be good to re- like receive that sort of I don't know kind of exposure. Same thing with like Japan. Like they're they've been like number one um, for a long time too. They they've been like contending with the U.S. or like France, Germany, um, and like I know for a fact that like some of the Korean players, um, like Korean U U.S. or Korean women's national team players, they get like rated on looks and they're it's more like of a popularity contest rather yeah. than like how much skill they have, like what kind of things that they've achieved mm-hmm. or where like what kind of level they're playing at. It's about when you s- read the articles, it's always about how cute that player is, how um, like even without makeup or like, like they'll like pull stuff from Instagram and be like, Oh, look how cute she is. Like that's a yeah. sports article. Yeah. yeah like it's that's, insane. Well, yeah, that's like a take on, on like it being very male centric point of view. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, I think it's got to get better and there's got to get a, there's got to be a reason as to like why people want to watch too. And I think that's like the struggle with women's sports in terms of people saying like, it's not on the same level as a man, like men's soccer in comparison to women's soccer. And, that's fine. It's you got to kind of take it for what it is, I think, and be like, oh, wow, what they're doing is extremely impressive in that in the way they're doing it. Um, but, yeah, I think it's difficult at this point in trying to bring. Bring viewers to the women's game um, without like the World Cup. And I think they're they've kind of like gone through that struggle of trying to attract viewers to their games um trying to do that um so i'm not i don't really know what the fix is well being able to do that i i think we've kind of seen the solution in like individual sports right Mm -hmm. like it's much easier to follow a a player rather than the team like you look at tennis right you look at golf yeah you look at like olympic sports yeah i think tennis is like the big example like i think serena williams is like far more popular than pretty much any male tennis player on the planet, especially in the United States um, because of the dominance that she's had. Um, Like it's pretty clear that she's a very well-known name. Yeah. Um, It's on level with like the Federer, Nadal, like Djokovic, maybe not the speed necessarily, but people enjoy watching it still. No. And, and, you know, you watch a lot of golf, and I'm sure you watch a lot of like WPGA, ga- like. Yeah, I still find too. I f- I find it entertaining. Like, yeah. there's thing like, 
And there's like female specific sports that I find a lot more entertaining than watching ma- like women's gymnastics is a lot more entertaining like when watching like during the summer olympics I find women's figure skating more entertaining than men's figure skating. Um it's just like there's just like different things I think that you can kind of see like like especially in women's like female or women's um figure skating like the flexibility that they're able to show um on the ice that's impressive like i remember watching the u.s women's hockey game uh from this winter that that was an exciting match to watch against canada like there's like moments pockets of moments that women's sports have but they haven't been able to capture the wide viewing audience and i think that's kind of like that's I think that's the struggle of trying to being able trying to capture that. Yeah, and I know we are like we're kind of like yeah. dragging on now. Well, yeah, but uh, I'll just say one more thing. It's like TV networks need to get better at airing those games, right? Yeah, like you see a lot of, um, you see a lot of like women's like like go back to tennis, right? Like mm-hmm. you see a lot of like women's matches being or you see a lot of men's games uh being favored over women's mm-hmm. and like i know they play on like different days um but like i don't know and it, like tv networks should be at the forefront of like hey like we should promote women like women's sports and like try to air them on tv yeah and i think you kind of hit on a point where there's not as much exposure for like women's soccer as there is in men men's yeah. soccer like i can catch a men's game like primarily game anything i want like online and it's fairly accessible whereas like a women's match it's not as widely publicized Mm -hmm. unless it's the world cup so i think they're they have to once make that leap and try to maintain some of that um some of the following that they get from the world cup um and get it into like some of the domestic league and get people interested in watching that so hopefully um this is like something that we're able to move on from and basically that DJ was able to learn from it. So I'm kind of curious as to see what ends up happening um, just in general with like um, women's soccer and the development, because I was a, I was a girls high school soccer coach Mm -hmm. um, in Virginia. And it's, I think, I think there's, it's really fascinating and fun to like, be able to coach and do all those things and work with girls and um in that way and being able to get some of the exposure and they're extremely talented some of those girls that i worked with were really really talented so it's really cool when they have a role model like that same like same like with us like once we see like i'm sure like young korean guys see sonong min like perform at the level he's performing at they get inspired to do great things and i think that's what giving exposure to women's sports does for a lot of women um, in that manner. So I'm curious to see what ends up happening with that in the future. Um, was there anything else that you wanted to talk about? Uh, there was some baseball news. Uh, Paul Goldschmidt ended up getting uh, traded to the St. Louis, Louis Cardinals. I don't, I mean, I don't know the particulars. Like it seemed people were saying that St. Louis ended up giving a decent amount up in terms of young talent, but, they 
got a very good player in return. So he he was like top two or three in the MVP race in the past like four years or so or three years. So he's he's clearly one of these good players. Um, Nathan Avaldi ended up signing with Red the Red Sox, re-signing with the Red Sox. Um, Patrick Corbin ended up signing with uh, Was- the Washington Nationals um, with a huge six-year deal. I'm kind of curious to see if that deal ends up precluding them from being in the Bryce mm-hmm. Harper race. And I want like there's a lot of speculation as to where Bryce Harper is going to end up going. And then we, we did we talk about your the Cano, um, Cano oh, and um, um, Edwin Diaz deal to the Mets. I'm not exactly sure what the Mets are doing. Um, but it's, I mean, it's not, those two players are good players on the face of things and they, they got rid of Jay Bruce and then got rid of a couple like young guys, but I'm not exactly sure. I mean, are they like on his way out? Yeah. Are they trying to like perform, like contend? Like Diaz is really young, 24 year old, uh, star closer. He ended up saving like 50 something games last year. So it it secures the back end, but it looks like more of a win now move, and I'm kind of curious as to whether they think they can compete and win now. I think they need a couple more bats in the lineup to be able to do that, and hopefully hope for some consistency in their starting pitching. Um, I think, like surprisingly, Zach Wheeler didn't do terrible last year. Um, it'll be f- interesting if Degrom and Syndergaard could kind of keep it up still. Um, and then they kind of need Steven Matz to perform as well. So there's a lot of interesting storylines regarding baseball. I'm sure we could do like another, like during the winter, uh, during my winter break, we can do a baseball pod and break down a lot of the winter meetings and break down some of the free agency moves that hopefully the Yankees make. I kind of just want the Yankees to like go all out and be like the ballers that they were like 15 years ago with Steinbrenner during that run that they were making in the early 2000s where they're like, yeah, let, let's just throw like a hundred mil at whoever we want. Um, I like, even with Harper, like, do we need him? Not really, but he's a nice luxury to have. Yeah. Why not throw a bunch of money at him? I don't like at this point, I'm, I just want to win a world championship. That's that's what's wrong with you guys. I mean, the Yankees. but the thing is, if you think about it, Boston Red Sox are the new Yankees. They have like the biggest, like, like look at the yeah, Boston I Red mean, Sox. Yeah. Look at the, the Dodgers. Like, I love how all these Boston fans are kind of talking about, oh, yeah, we're still the underdogs, not with like the biggest payroll in the league, basically. So I, I don't know. Like, it seems like they're the, the new evil empire at this point. Eh, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, they still have a long ways to catch up to the Yankees' <laughs> world titles, so we'll see what ends up happening with that. But, Hedjun, I'm so glad that you're able to come on. We're, we're able to talk Premier League. Um, hopefully, Manu's able to get it together, and I'm hoping that Liverpool is able to pull it out this week against Bournemouth and get that Napoli win, hopefully 2-0, uh, 2-0 win at Anfield. So, uh, go Liverpool. You never walk alone. <laughs>